Welcome, everybody. I got an exciting show for you guys. Today, we have an awesome guest, Justin Jacobson. He is an esports and entertainment attorney, which is a super cool job title. We're going to talk to them about that. He's actually a vice president of a law firm. We're going to get into some of that stuff. He's negotiated multi million dollar deals in entertainment and in the esports space. So, we're going to get into some of that cool stuff. He's written a bunch of articles, he's done a bunch of different kinds of shows. We're going to get into all the cool and exciting stuff he's done. And I really want to find out how. How he got to this point, why he's interested in all this stuff, and all the fun things that go into a being an attorney and esports—two things that I think are pretty cool topics. So, welcome, Justin. Thanks for having me. I'm glad to be here. No, nah, it's 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 exciting. It's an exciting time, and I'm uh, I'm glad we were able to connect and uh, do this today. So, I want to start out. I'm going to go back a little bit, like about like. 10 to 15 years ago to when you first got started because I want to know I want to know the history of how you got to the point of where you are today so you started out you went to GW you were an undergrad in sociology so what 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 was what was your undergrad experience like like why did you did you have some kind of plan as an undergrad or why sociology what was going on at this time I mean GW was awesome you know Washington DC is an amazing place to go and you know, I always kind of knew I was interested in the law in some capacity and, you know, kind of grew up in the entertainment world. So, you know, it was just kind of an, op- an amazing opportunity, come, you know, being living in New York, growing up in Long Island, you know, about a half hour from New York City. So it's like I really felt that like another kind of city campus like, you know, GW was amazing. And sociology was just once I kind of knew I was going to law school, I felt like, you know, everyone was a criminal justice major or sure. criminology major. So I'm like, OK, well sociology is you know a different angle and it was in, some of the classes were like more theoretical and really understanding you know some of the psychology and the reasons why people do things you know mm-hmm. learned about about like you know with cathedrals of consumption and the mcdonaldization of america and you know some of these very elaborate contemporary sociological theories that i think really kind of influenced me now and how i kind of approach what i do and how i kind of deal with the sociology and kind of these interactions, the social interactions with other people. Oh, definitely. That's awesome. I actually, I was a political science major because my goal when I first started college was also to go into law. And then by my senior year, I took the LSATs, but I Uh had completely transitioned into tech. So my my career trajectory switched to me getting a master's in instructional technology versus going into law. So what was it about law that you knew that this was a thing for you? Well, you know, I kind of, you know, always grew up in like a family of, you know, attorneys. My father's an attorney. So it's kind of, it's always around me, but I was much more involved in like the entertainment and music side. And initially during college and through law school, I was more involved in putting on events and event production and working nightlife and DJs and kind of managing that aspect. And then I kind of went to law school because it was just kind of, you know, a really unique asset to have. And I was able to really focus on the kind of law that would be useful no matter what, if I was a practicing attorney or was just involved in, you know, some business world in some capacity, whether it's, you know, was that a label or a management company or, you know, just any kind of business venture that needed someone that had like a really good grasp of, you know, intellectual property and contracts, you know, business laws and LLCs and, you know, kind of this more corporate business legal information. So it really was just a unique asset and knowledge to have and to me it just kind of was natural i don't know it was like one of, i always kind of like equated to that scene in the matrix like the last scene when he just like 
sees the matrix for what it is and just like stops it. Like that's just kind of how it was for me. And, you know, I felt like it was just a unique education to have. And, you know, it always kind of like differentiates me when I'm in conversations with other people with, you know, having this different knowledge and looking at situations from maybe a different perspective or, you know, with even a different experience. Now you, you, so you, you said that if this has been a family thing, your father's an attorney. Now you've been, and you've been working for his firm. You've been doing tons of stuff, which we're going to get to. So how's that? Do you, do you enjoy, is that like a good thing? Like, do you, do you think working with going into like working with your family, has that been a good thing? I'm sure there are good and bad things about every job. So what, yeah, I mean, it, it's, you know, it's definitely has the good and the bad and it's definitely, you know, it's nice that he kind of understands like what I'm trying to do and, you know, probably a little bit more in touch with what's going on, like the youth culture than maybe some more, you know, attorneys of his age. And, you know, he's obviously seen me with the video games my whole life. So I guess he kind of really understands that like, yeah, me and my friends would hang out and play video games or be in our basement playing Starcraft, like on our computers. Like this is like something that is kind of not that foreign to him. So once we started working in that a bit more, it wasn't like a complete shock as it might've been to some other, you know, bigger firms. So has really he been like a big mentor for you as you've been doing all this? Yeah, you know, it's definitely, he's definitely, you know, kind of brings in a unique perspective and experience to everything and, you know, someone to bounce ideas and concepts mm-hmm. on and, you cool. know, we're, it's good, yeah. Yeah, no, I have a, my, it's my, fa- I'm a professor, my father's a professor, so I, and it wasn't like, it was totally not planned for me to follow in his footsteps, but yeah, having that, being able to be mentored there definitely like has been, has helped me along the way, make big decisions and stuff like that. So I know I definitely know what you're talking about, especially with all the advantages and disadvantages doing the same thing and family type thing and you know, how it all works out. Definitely cool. Um, so let's go back to you. So you talked a little bit about your undergrad. You decide to go into law. What's law school like? Is it like I, I picture law school as you are studying twenty four seven? I mean, is it is it a really difficult thing? Is law school hard? I mean, it's definitely like a grind. It's really about you know time management. I would say that you know it's probably a between classes and you know be on law review and just then you got to get internships and all these things. It's you know it's like a full time thing where you're reading you know thousands of pages, if not a thousand pages per each class, and it's. But again, I think that it it has its purpose. But, you know, then it's one of these questions where everyone's like, oh, academia and, you know, some of these schools, it gives you like an information set, you know, a guide on how you could do things and knowledge to have. And I think it's really all about having to take what you know and apply it and kind of understand it and know that, yeah, like this is good for here, but there's so many other things going on. That like whatever you're learning here isn't gonna be the exact situation you're gonna be dealing with most of the time. So it's teaching you kind of just how to approach things. I think is like the biggest thing from it is just like kind of seeing like every side, you know, not just two sides of but like twenty different sides and twenty different outcomes and you know, thinking that yeah, everything is rosy and red right now, but you know, if things don't go as you plan or a shipment comes late or, you know, COVID happens out of nowhere and, you know, everyone's best laid plans go to waste, you know, so it kind of teaches you how to be a little bit more able to go with the flow, I, I think, you know, I think that it's, you know, but yeah, it's definitely a grind and, you know, the LSTAT and then studying for the bar is just, you know, one of those things where you just do it as hard as you can once so you don't have to do it again. Sure, absolutely. <laughs> you know, like that was the way I looked at it. It was like, I'm going to go hard, like, you know, wake up, study till lunch. 
you know, study till dinner, study till sleep. And that's kind of like the mentality you have to do. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. It's, you know, I, I, when I was working on my doctorate, it was very similar. There was just a, this grind for like a solid four years. And it just felt like it was, ne- <laughs> I questioned like, why am I doing this? Oh my God. Like, Is it worth it? Is it going to be worth it? Am I going to finish this thing? <laughs> yeah. Just kind of funny how that <laughs> all works out. Um, okay. So you're currently vice president of your law firm of the law firm that you work for what does what does that mean what's what's the difference between vice president and an attorney i mean realistically it's really kind of the same thing uh, i would say that it's just more of you know entitled being able to be more of an officer of the entity being able to you know bind it and operate more on behalf of it but you know, realistically it's still the same day-to-day grind you know finding clients working on the existing ones writing articles, doing, you know, speaking engagements and just really kind of putting yourself out there in some capacity and building the firm. You know, that's kind of my goal almost every day is to do something, whether it's doing work or, you know, engaging with, you know, individuals like yourself or with, you know, different writers or publications, you know, speaking on a panel at the end of the month and one the following month. So it's really trying to kind of put what I'm doing and what we're working on here kind of in the limelight and in front of the right people. And so what was that climb like? Like you started out there as a legal assistant, then you moved to attorney. Now you're up at the VP level. Was that, what's that climb like? Is there like different types of work you do at each of those levels? Well, yeah, you know, starting out, it was very much just like most of the day-to-day stuff, just kind of working on existing clients, really kind of familiarizing myself with what the contracts look like, how you engage with, you know, talent and creative people. Because, you know, as you learn in esports and gaming spaces, these more creative worlds, whether it's music or art or fashion, like there's just a special way you have to explain things to the clients and how you have to engage with them. Like, you know, it takes a certain touch to be able to tell us something that they may not want to hear with a way that they're like, okay, well, I, I get it, you know, or like, you know, really explain, you know, a a 30 page contract to them in a way that maybe, you know, a rapper or, you know, an actress or a model might not understand the same way, you know, a professor or, you know, a dentist or an again, Yeah, exactly. So it's like the same thing with research. I got to explain it to people in layman's terms. They don't know all my terminology. Yeah. So I think that that's one of the things, especially in, you know, the talent driven world where like, you know, you're not representing you know, doctors and, you know, other lawyers and accountants and, you know, more finance people who may be a bit more sophisticated in their dealings. You're, you know, you might be dealing with some random rapper who just got a 30 page contract from a manager and it's like, here, sign this. It's like, okay, well, let's like kind of back up and see, you know, what's going on with here and here. And, you know, you understand what this means. And, you know, because at the end of the day, it's your job to explain it to the client so that they're comfortable with it. And I think that, you know, part of the process working my way up was learning this, you know, learning how to engage with them, learning how to then engage with, you know, the person you're negotiating with, you know, like the outward facing client, the person that, you know, there's certain things you can ask for, certain things you can't ask for, certain ways you ask for things, you know, like you can phrase something where it's like, this is what we're comfortable with. Or like, you know, we don't feel that we need to do anything else. You know, like, like there are ways to say no without saying no and like being tactful with it. So I think that's just something that you kind of learn experience and has you're kind of like moving up the ladder and getting more responsibility. Is it, is it a lot of work hours? Is it a long hours, long weeks, or does it just kind of vary? I mean, yeah, it's just, I mean, I would say that we're definitely not on the, 
you know, some seven to 12 kind of grind that some of the big law firms are. We're definitely, I believe that there's a lot of value and especially, you know, months ago being out, going to events, you know, especially being in New York, there's a lot of networking opportunities, whether it's just, you know, networking groups or, you know, record release parties or launch parties or, you know, even events that we throw, you know, we're very involved in hosting industry networking events to kind of get our clients together. And then some of our other colleagues and try to hopefully kind of make like almost like a business card swapping soiree where it's like, Oh, you're a rapper, you're a producer. Hey, you guys should talk. Or, you know, you're like, you know, you're a videographer. Okay. These guys are looking to make music, but you know, and I feel like a lot of my best clients and a lot of my best leads have been just kind of out at events, you know, whether it's fashion weeks or just, you know, a magazine release party in a random club or, you know, some of these more, you know, industry driven things that we used to be able to go to. Sure, sure. So how does, where does gaming fit into this? So, you know, we're talking about a vice president of a, you know, a law firm. We're talking about law school and now we're talking about video games. So have video games been a part of your life, like your whole life? Is that, is that how this started yeah i mean you know my earliest memories of nintendo like holding the gun up against the tv screen to make sure i got that duck like yeah, i don't know the seven-year-old yeah like the, the seven-year-old in me thought that that was how i wouldn't miss it i guess yes and then you know to sega the n64 you know now i have playstation and xbox and you know i kind of play you know nba 2k almost you know every day and you know sometimes more than i care to admit on the weekends and sure. you know as i mentioned you know i was a big starcraft and starcraft 2 guy so that was definitely you know a big part of my life and you know a lot of memories are just you know playing madden or fifa or 2k or you know with coming over like let's order pizza and like playing madden you know and sure. it's just like a lot of my social engagements were around gaming and video games you know in college it was I definitely lost more, you know, 30 racks to Madden games than I want to admit, but, you know, it, it adds a little incitement. Maybe broke a PlayStation controller or two that I, you know, didn't need to do. <laughs> sure. it, these things, sometimes they just slip. What are you going to do, right? Yeah, it happens. <laughs> it happens, right? When Michael Vick just runs all over you. There's nothing you can do about it. So, you know, video games, you know, and gaming has always been kind of, you know, a portion of my life in some capacity. And, you know, about five years ago, I was, you know, really kind of just flipping through the channels and I kind of caught wind of, you know, E-League on TBS and, you know, sort of, you know, kids playing Street Fighter for $250,000. Yeah. And I was just like, what? <laughs> like, like, quarter million, like the game that we used to play, like the arcade for 25 cents. Yes. Like, like I remember like yeah. mashing buttons at that game, you know, Blanco with his like, you know, electric thing. It's just like these kids are getting a quarter million dollars to play like this. So it really kind of opened my eyes to what it had really become. And I spent some time kind of exploring the industry, especially from, you know, the more professional, you know, legal side that I came from. And most of the people that were already kind of in this space seemed to me to be more like traditionally born and bred esports and gaming people. Like, you know, they were just like, they were big gamers and they became lawyers. So they started to represent their friends or, mm -hmm. you know, they were already like a former gamer who went to law school. And, you know, I saw that I was unique coming from this more entertainment, you know, music, sports, mainstream fashion world that I, you know, had maybe a different experience, a different kind of approach to, you know, talent representation and development and, you know, working with, you know, Universals and Warners and Sonys and all these, you know, Viacoms, these big entertainment conglomerates, you really kind of understand how you deal with these companies, you know, how you negotiate these 
as you mentioned, these five and six figure deals, these, you know, record deals, these publishing deals and things with these kind of big companies that have been doing these things for, you know, 30, 40, 50 years, if not, you know, longer than that. So I thought that it was, you know, I kind of brought a unique perspective and network and connections. And through that, I was able to really just start working with a few talent agents in the space to really kind of just develop my knowledge and expertise of, you know, engaging with the players, learning what the contracts look like, learning how to talk to the different teams. And from there, I started to kind of develop my own book of talent and teams that I was working with. And, you know, from there, I've just kind of continued on that route, you know, representing professional gamers and streamers and coaches and, you know, casters and different brands in the space and, you know, helping them with all their legal stuff. So, you know, contracts, so, copyrights, trademarks, you know, you know the so, visa stuff, all yeah, this. That's, that's it. Like why, why does it, why does, why do these players need, I mean, I know a couple semi-pro players and the last thing on any of the, I've never even heard a mention of a lawyer. So what, where does this come in? Like, why do they need, like, why do they need an attorney? I mean, I think that, and what I noticed was that similar to, you know, the music world and sports and, you know, movies and TV and, you know, these more other entertainment driven worlds, there is this established professional world around it. You know, there are agents and managers and attorneys and financial advisors and, mm -hmm. you know, CPAs and accountants and these people that just really specialize in these more entertainment driven worlds because there is a specific knowledge. There is an understanding of, you know, the mechanics and the professional side and the business and legal side. And yeah, when you're making a thousand dollars a month on like a little deal, that's one thing. But, you know, when you're making six figures or, you know, some of these guys on these Forbes list making, you know, 10, 20, 30 million dollars a year, like, you know, you're going to be starting to deal with much bigger companies with, you know, much higher priced lawyers and, you know, signing these agreements that at the end of the day, they're meant to protect their client, yeah. which really isn't you. You know, and I think that's one thing that a lot of, you know, talent in the gamers really are maybe a little naive, maybe yeah. it's just inexperienced or just unsophisticated. But it's like, you know, the team's attorney didn't make the agreement to protect you like they made it to protect them. And, mm -hmm. you know, they know that there could be a little give and take in it. They probably know they made it a little bit more aggressive than it might need to be. And, you know, you need to have someone that understands, OK, well, you know, this is a little crazy or like we could get this a little bit more balanced or you know, at least to explain it to you so you really understand it. You know, because the last thing you want is, you know, you wake up three months from now, six months, a year, what you know, whatever the time frame is. And you're like, oh, wow, like, I can't believe I signed this or, you know, I didn't realize that that's what that meant. <laughs> yeah. And it's like at that point, it's really too late. Yeah. You know, unless someone held like a gun to your head, like it's going to be enforceable and yeah. it's. You know, then you kind of get to situations where, you know, it might have TFU or you have to go the litigation route. And, you know, unless you're making millions of dollars like him, most people aren't going to be in the situation for that to ever be like really an option. Like mm -hmm. you can't spend $10,000 to make $2,000 yeah. like it, you know, the economic. So it's like it really kind of puts you in a position of like you have to be aware of what you sign because it's going to be enforceable. And, you know, now that you're doing you have the potential to become like, you know, a multimillionaire overnight, like Booga, like, you know, you win a tournament that, you know, puts you in a whole new light mm -hmm. and now you're in a different price bracket. And now, you know, millions of people know your name and, you know, you have, you know, 50,000 more fans overnight and you just kind of explode. And, you know, maybe the contract you signed a year ago probably doesn't fit what you, mm -hmm. what your current state of affairs are. 
But unless you kind of maybe built in, okay, well, if I get, you know, 50,000 more followers over this month band, then you have to pay me X more. Or if, you sure. know, I make this month's prize money, then I get a bigger cut of it. Or, you know, like, like you as a professional would understand the way the industry works and can kind of build in some of these things. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, the most recent example I use, you know, sorry, I feel bad for him is, you know, Clayster. Like, you know, he went from winning the Call of Duty Pro League one night to being dropped the next morning. And like, you know, he had a contract that probably was, you know, a two-year deal, six figures plus. Like, yeah, like I'm, you're thinking that like you're sad. I'm going to get like nearly half a million dollars to play, you know, Call of Duty for the next two years. Yeah. This is great. And, you know, you wake up and it's like, oh, well, we didn't exercise your option. So here's your goodbye tweet, you know? And it's like, you sometimes forget that this is the business that like, you know, you always see these hard knocks, you know, on HBO where it's like, you see the guys getting cut and it's always like, yeah, this is the business. Like, this is, this is what it is. And, you know, in esports, I feel like we don't see it as much. It's not, you know, you don't just see someone go from like the top to like the free agency pool that quick. But I think that, you know, as the stakes keep growing and, you know, as everything evolves, you know, it's going to be more the norm than the not. Yeah. I mean, we're seeing it with like, you know, I think one of the biggest examples that the media sees right now is with what's happening with Ninja moving from Twitch to Mixer back to Twitch. Now getting new news this week about something else, like just because he's, you know, one of the top, top guys. So you people are hearing about it. But yeah, it's crazy. I don't think a lot of the a lot of the up and it's also kids like are 14 year olds. Yeah, I've been talking to a 13 year old. Like I was connected with someone who like FaZe has like a 13 year old and it's like, talk with him and his dad and you know because he has such upside phase wants to like you know go to court with the agreement to make sure it's enforceable you know these things you do with like child actors so yeah that- it's exactly like that they're a kid they're not a 10 year 13 year old kid is not thinking about an attorney and a contract yeah he's not thinking about two years from now when he's 15 16 17 mm-hmm. like but like realistically he has to yeah. because all you need is one thing two things that fall in line and you know, you get 10 million, you know, like you kind of level up and the numbers get higher and, you know, you have a lot more to gain or lose based on how you structured things. Yeah. And I, I saw you post an article I, the other day on LinkedIn, not that I'm stalking you on LinkedIn, but I did, I did well, I notice you, whenever I'm doing an interview with someone, I stalk, I like read, I try to read everything about them. But uh, I saw you post a really interesting article about protecting your gamer tag. Something that I've honestly like, cause I've, I've never thought about it. I've had the same, not that I'm a professional esports player, but you know, I'm now a professor of esports and I have a gamer tag that's known at my university and every game I, and I was like, wow, I've never thought of that. Is that like Kid Rock protecting his name, Kid Rock? Exactly, that's like the exact way I equate it. You know, the same way Tim the Tapman or Nick Merckx or, you know, Ninja has a value in their name, the same way Madonna or, you know, Blink-182 or, you know, Metallica, like there's this inherent value that a trademark protects that other people can't use your name. You can't just, you know, I can't just start selling Ninja t-shirts. Sure. You know, like, because he has, you know, I can't, same thing with like the Yankees or, you know, some yeah. of these teams. So Mickey it's, Mouse you know, or whatever. Exactly. So it's similar. And now again, as the numbers rose and now your name, Tim, you know, Dr. Disrespect, your name is worth millions of dollars. You're licensing it to G Fuel for a line. You're licensing it to Scuff Gaming. You're, you know, you're letting these major brands use your name. But if you don't have a trademark securing rights to your name, like what are you really giving them? So it, 
you know, as the stakes and ultimately the money went up, these protections that, you know, like I said, come from the more traditional entertainment and sports world. Like, you know, Michael Jordan has his name registered sure. and Magic Johnson and, you know, Lynn Sanity and, you know, some of these, you know, the brow I know. So a lot of these athletes kind of have their nicknames, you know, as well as their, you know, real legal names protected so that they kind of establish these rights in them and can really like, you know, monetize and monitor how other people are using it. Yeah, I never, I had never even really, I mean, I understand why like a guy like Ninja would do it, but I, I didn't understand that like, oh yeah, you know what, your gamer tag is like, bec is becoming an identity. Like even on Discord, like people get to know you and that's like you. And especially I have some students that are semi-pro potentially making it to that next level. And how, how do I tell them to protect themselves? So they would get like a trademark for their name, I assume is, and yeah. they probably need an attorney to help them through some of those steps, correct? It's not yeah, so I mean, it's, simple to fill out all those forms, right? It's not. Yeah, I mean, obviously, you know, being an attorney that does that, it's a little biased. But, yeah, I mean, I think at the end of the day, if you're not sure of something, you know, the worst case, and we have this all the time where they come like, oh, I try to file it, and, you know, I did it on my own, I did it with LegalZoom, and it's like, oh, well, you completely messed it up. So it's yeah. like we have to redo it from the beginning, and, it's like, okay, well, you know, you just spent that money on LegalZoom for no reason because you have to then spend it. Nah, you got to do, gotta it, do it anyway, yeah. You know, and again, it, it's kind of like the short side of the thing where it's like, yeah, what, you know, spending like a thousand, you know, a month's salary, whatever, to have someone review the contract, while maybe might not immediately show the value today, tomorrow, or a month later, I'm, you know, willing to bet more times than not someone like myself or, you know, any other professional will well earn their money they will have you know done something whether it's you know editing the contract to maybe make it more fair include some incentives or you know even just really making sure you fully understand what you're doing so it's done properly and so you're confident in what you're doing so you know while it may just seem preaching to the choir i definitely you know believe that you know a professional in the space definitely can provide you know added value and really kind of make sure that you feel confident because that's the worst thing mm -hmm. is you know you get a 23 page agreement and you really don't understand what it means sure you don't understand how it's going to impact you you know years down the line and you know i've had kids come in with me like and i read the contract i'm like you signed this and he's like it says that i'm like yeah it says that like <laughs> like they own all your work and like yeah. they own your name like all these things it's like well at least you should know like you know at least be aware of these things even if we can't try to change them so is that what you do? Like if someone comes to you with a contract, like that's what negotiating the contract. Like I, I came, let's say I had like a, you know, two year million dollar contract. I come to you and you say, you know what? You probably don't want to, or here's what this means. Do you want to do that? And then we go back to the company. Is that how this process works? Yeah. So it's like, you know, a review and negotiation process where, you know, we may get the draft and then we kind of give, you know, some red line revisions and suggestions on things that, you know, maybe might make more sense. Like, okay, well, you know, this clause, maybe we can make it, you know, this, you know, instead of 60 days, 30 days when they pay you or, you know, try to just kind of go through it and see what things we can do that might be a little bit more advantageous or, you know, a little bit more balanced and towards the middle as, as well as kind of explaining to you what everything means and what the different options are. And it's like, okay, well, you know, this is a reasonable request, but they might say no because of this, you know, yeah. and really kind of explaining what both sides of you know, the arguments are where it's like, okay, well, they're probably saying this because of X, Y, and Z. 
but I think that because of this, we should be able to get this, you know, and really gotcha. kind of explaining some of the thinking behind, you know, what you're trying to accomplish with the agreement and, and ultimately trying to make sure that they're, they're comfortable with it, that it's something that they're like, okay, well, maybe it's not exactly what I want, but at least like, you know, I'm okay with it. I'm comfortable. And, you know, cause nobody wants to do a deal. They feel taken advantage of like, that's just not a way to start a relationship. It's, probably not going to be a good relationship when all said and done. And, you know, you're always going to feel like, oh, I feel like I'm being taken advantage of, or he's not paying me enough or, you know, and let's be real. Like when you're not that enthused about something, it shows, Yeah. you know, like I can tell how, you know, how enthused you are about the podcast and just the energy that you're bringing to it. So it's like, it makes me enthused about it. It makes me want to, you know, engage more. So I think that, you know, as an employee, especially in these talent driven worlds, you want them to be excited about it. You don't want them to just finally sign on your team and it be like, oh, that was like pulling teeth. You know, <laughs> sure. like, what's going to be next? You know, you want to be like, oh, this was such a great process. I'm, you know, they're so supportive of me. I can't wait to, you know, accomplish X, Y, and Z, all the things that they wanted to do. So it's like, to me, that's the conversation that you want. Now you know, that's you what you're, oh, yeah. go ahead. like, that's what you want your clients to like come away feeling. That, like, okay, yeah, like they believe in me. They they want to work with me. Like, you know, they see the value that I can bring because I think that they're going to then work harder for them. You're going to, you know, really be more thoughtful and, you know, aware in what you do on their behalf. Now, do you go out and seek the players or, the, or do they come to you? Like, what's the common thing that happens in the industry? Like, is that... Is I mean, it, it's kind of like a combination of uh, both. I would say that, you know, there's definitely certain talent that maybe, you know, I may you know, seek out to, you know, engage with and talk. But I would say most of it is, you know, people seeking me out or, you know, referrals from other clients. Like that's probably like the primary way. And, you know, most of my best clients have come from, you know, there's another client being like, oh, you should talk to my guy, Justin. Like, you know, he does great by me. And, you know, usually those are the people that end up staying around the longest. And, you know, they kind of have certain expectations and they're just, you know, like, okay, like this is, he's doing good for him. So, you know, I, chances are he'll probably do good for me. So I would say that it's, you know, really a combination of both, but most of the time it's, you know, a referral gotcha. kind of thing. And how does, how do they, how does, how does like being charged in, or how does, how does like the, the contract person pay you? Is there like, and I don't mean you personally, yeah. but like in just an in industry in general, is that, is this by flat fees or do they pay percentage of contracts or is it just completely variable depending on what it, what is going on? Well, yeah, I mean, I would say that, you know, most people are all different, but like, you know, us in particular, we kind of are workable where it's like just a flat fee for a certain project or, you know, an hourly retainer where it's just kind of based on the amount of time spent on something or, you know, depending on, you know, those are like, I would say they usually two most common ones because it's just kind of an easiest way to operate that way. It's like, okay, well, you know, this is the cost. I kind of know what it's going to be. I can budget out for it. It, you know, makes it a bit easier to, you know, plan my expenditures. And sometimes it's like, okay, well, if it's just based on the time spent, then you know that like, okay, if it's going to be like, you know, hours and hours of work, you at least know like what it's accounted for. And it's, yeah, you know, you feel everyone does again you don't want anyone to feel taken advantage of i think that's like the biggest thing yeah. that i like to approach businesses you yeah. know that they feel like okay well you know look at how much time you put into it it makes sense that it cost x mm -hmm. sure sure so now 
you've do, you're doing all kinds of other stuff besides just being an attorney. You're, I mean, you're here today, and you are hosting podcasts. You are interviewing people. You are doing a bunch of podcasts. So, what is this like? Why are you doing this? Is this like you just love that part of media? Is that what this is? Is that why you're doing it? I mean, I think I really enjoy it. I definitely enjoy talking. I guess that's one of the traits of being an attorney is you like to talk. And, you know, it's always fun to talk about myself and, you know, talk about things that I enjoy. Sure. And, you know, kind of on the hosting front, I I feel like I kind of try to bring a different perspective on things with just kind of my knowledge of the industry and kind of, you know, the legal and business world where, you know, I'm trying to give a different perspective than maybe some other people that are hosting podcasts that maybe are a bit more knowledgeable about, you know, the gameplay mechanics and strategies. And, you know, maybe they can give you a better review on, you know, the gameplay of a certain game. But when you look at, you know, understanding how different parties, you know, whether it's a brand or a team or a player or, you know, an analytics company in the space, you know, how, how they operate, how they make money and, you know, where they fit in, I think is, you know, another important thing to learn. And, you know, that's just something that I guess I'm good at. And I think it really is important because it kind of puts me out there and lets me kind of engage with people and, you know, have content that's like, hey, like, this is me talking about this topic. Or, you know, if you want to learn a little bit more about what's going on, check this article out. Because I think especially nowadays, there's just so much stuff. There's so much white noise. There's so many blogs and emails and social media platforms that, you know, you really have to do whatever you can to, like, put yourself out there and distinguish yourself. And, you know, original content, I think, is, you know, one of the things that distinguishes yourself, as you know, with, you know, this great interview series that you have. No, I completely – I mean, I get it 100%. I love doing – I love the media – like I just, it's, it's a, just a, I mean, it's a hobby that I've combined in the work and I, I love doing it. It's like, you know, I don't feel like I'm working. It is work, but I'm, I'm doing it cause I like it. I really, if you didn't, I mean, you know, getting on a show and putting yourself out there on voice or video is not an easy thing to do. I mean, it takes yeah. some, it takes some guts. You got to be able to just kind of do it. And you know, you're a professional. You've got a lot of cool knowledge to provide about you know esports is a super huge important and you know popular topic but the law aspect is such a unique niche to come at it you know you're not talking about like oh league of legends i'm uh you know i'm a really good jungler there's a million really good junglers out there and i see a million podcasts about how to jungle but i don't Hmm. see a lot of podcasts about being an esports lawyer you know, it's a, it's a it's a really cool niche and it's an important topic that needs to be talked about more that I wasn't as aware of it even like a year or two ago as I am today, just how much more aware of how important it really is. Yeah, I mean, I would definitely say there's a lot more esports, you know, attorneys popping up every day now. I, I get more DMs from people like, oh, how do I get into this? And, you know, but I think that ultimately the biggest thing is kind of the actual experience in it. And that's kind of like my advice to anyone that's talking to any of these people is like, what are they actually doing? What have they actually done? And who are they doing it with? Like, you know, you can always tell who actually has experience and who is just kind of putting something up on Twitter that yeah, they do it. Yeah, no, I, <clears throat> no, it's the same. And, and this field, I feel like esports, it's really easy. You can tell pretty quick if someone's a true fan of the games, if they really know what they're talking about, or they're just like, Hey, I'm here for some money. <laughs> like, I want to figure out how to capitalize on this thing. No, that does not work in this industry. It is not the industry for that. 
Yeah, exactly. It's, but I think that that's important, though. I think that that's why it's so successful and what makes it, you know, have such great staying power and such brand appeal. And, you know, like, I don't know if we kind of mentioned this, but, you know, more recently I've been, you know, appointed the manager of, you know, Ford Models Talent Division, the you know, esports and gaming division. So, you know, when they kind of approached me, being, you know, they're a more traditional high end, you know, luxury modeling agency, they already had this digital influencer division more on you know wellness and beauty influencers and but they really also saw a lot of the intersection they you know some of the brands they were working with asking you know about gaming and esports you know they're hearing about you know ninja and you know seeing what louis vuitton and gucci and sure. you know some of the mercedes and audi and some of these more luxury mm -hmm. brands are you know starting to do in the space and you know i think that that's an important thing is to be able to understand that, okay, this is evolving more and more mainstream. And that's what is, you know, so great about it. And that's why the fans are so engaged with it. And, you know, they're very loyal to their product, you know, like you can get a pretty good ROI on a good product from, you know, gamers, mm -hmm. you know, if it's a terrible product, they're going to, they're going to let you know too. <laughs> but if, you know, if it's something that's like, oh, wow, this is great, you know, the community is going to embrace it and, you know, it's going to do very well. So how do you how do you find the time to do all this stuff? Is it just like that because it's your passion, it doesn't feel like work? I mean, it seems I like mean, you just have to just keep doing it. You know, as you were alluding to earlier with the podcast stuff, it's like you just got to do it and just, you know, make lists. There's a lot of lists lying around everywhere of what to do and, you know, prioritize what has to get done today and in the next hour versus you know, what you can do a little later or tomorrow. Sure. And, you know, luckily there's a lot of synergy between everything that I'm doing. So it, it's kind of like, okay, like an hour ago, I was talking to a client about esports. Now this hour I'm talking to you about it. You know, in two hours, I'm gonna talk to an agency about it. And, you know, tomorrow morning I'll talk to a client about their deal. So it's like, you know, a lot of the similar topic, just, you know, different conversations. So what, so based on, so the extra stuff you're doing, you're doing, you're writing articles, you know, you're publishing articles, you're hosting a podcast, you're being interviewed. What, what's your meat? Like my choice, my, I, like I, I, you know, I published, I wrote a book, I published, I'm, I love video. Video is my thing. It's what sure. I like. So what, what's your thing? Like, what do you like? What's your meat? I'm just curious about, I love I mean, talking I think, tech. With I, I guess I think I really enjoy writing. I think yeah. that, you know, the podcast would probably be the second, you know, the video, it's a little bit more restricting, uh, Got to worry about where my hands are, <laughs> you know, what my hair looks like, you know, got to make sure that it, everything looks outwardly, you know, in that realm. But, you know, really talking or writing is just, you know, much more natural to me. And, you know, I think that sometimes it's a little bit easier to maybe express yourself in the written word where like you can stop and think and edit yes. and, you know, <laughs> definitely harder yeah. than video. Thanks. Thank that. you for the deletion key. Like, <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah, no, I totally get that. It, uh, you know, I, I always look at this stuff as an art form, and it's just, it, I'm just always curious to hear from other creators about what they they prefer and why. And I, I think it's just, it's it's just me appreciating the art to to ask that kind of question. So I think that's kind yeah, of yeah. I mean, I think that the visual element obviously adds, you know, like another layer to it. And I would say, like, you know, if you're a creator out there, you know, v, the vod and the video element is very valuable for, you know viewership in general i think that you know more people like watching video now than they maybe did you know years ago and oh, yeah. it's much more podcast audio focus so you know anyone that asked me that question i would say that you probably got to have the video but 
you know, my podcast kind of in COVID shifted from, you know, a video interview to just an audio one because, you know, first nobody had haircuts and then, you know, people <laughs> worrying about internet and, you know, my sure. internet and setup isn't as, you know, no, as it's... ideal as it was, you know, in the office. So it was just a lot easier just to kind of just focus on the audio and ultimately what we're really not like doing anything on screen other than just us. Yeah. So like, you know, the video element adds a nice like relatability to it, but you know, I don't think that the content is really changed. You know, exactly. Yeah. No, I, I agree. It adds, it, it's, it's makes it significantly more complicated. If you saw how many lights I have set up and equipment <laughs> right. I've invested like it's, it's definitely a lot more complicated. I agree. I, for some reason, I love that complication. I don't know why. Just, <laughs> well, no, I mean, when you have your perfect setup in your place, it's great. Yeah. You, you know, I'm sitting here on my kitchen table. So it's like, you know, I'm sitting here with all the wires for the plugged into the wall, you know, right across the living room. So it's like, you know, not as easy as my office. Yeah, I've got green screen behind me. This is I know. My, this I, is I, my I, at first I was like, oh, those are cool old computers. And I realized, OK, it's a green screen. Yes. And, I, you know, what's funny is my real office at work, which I, I can't really go to right now. Um, well, I, I guess I could, but we're kind of not because of coronavirus. I have a setup just like this where I have all these old computers behind me <laughs> and one of them signed by Steve Wozniak, which is always a great conversation piece when someone <laughs> comes in my office. I'm like, founder of Apple Computer, signed one of these. <laughs> um, awesome. But we're, we're wrapping up here and I know we're, we're kind of getting a little off topic, but I just wanted to, I just have two, two more quick questions for you. I know we're getting out of time. Um, so you're still, you're, you're still early in your career, but you've done a ton of stuff. So what do you think are the most significant things you've done so far? And what do you, what is your, what is your favorite thing you've done so far? Oh man, that's a tough question. I mean, <laughs> I know it's a I cheesy mean, question. About I know. It's just like, stuff, I, I feel like most of the things I've done are, you know, all pretty exciting. I would say like a, mem a moment that's always going to really kind of stick with me was um, this EDM artist that I've probably been, you know, working with for like, you know, five or six years. Um, last Labor Day, she was, you know, came to New York to perform at Electric Zoo, which is, you know, one of these big festivals on Labor yeah. Day. She was on the main stage performing live with like one of these big DJs. And, you know, me and my wife went out to see, you know, her and her husband. And we were backstage. We met him at the hotel and just, you know, seeing her in front of like, you know, 30, 50,000 screaming people. Like, it's just like, wow. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's just one of these things that it's just like, this is someone that like I've been helping and, you know, kind of in their corner and watching them kind of grow and evolve and, you know, hearing about like the band that she was performing with like years, like, Oh, I remember doing that deal for them. You know, cause a lot of these deals happen, you know, months, if not longer before the actual song sure. is released. So it's like, yeah, like I remember doing a deal for that song and now it's like, you know, you're performing live at Izu in between like, you know, Benny Benassi and Zed. And it's like, you know, these are people that, you know, from the music world, they're like, you know, legendary. And to kind of see people that you're working with, like, sharing the same green room and like, you know, like walking past Shaq, you know, DJ Diesel and Afro Jack <laughs> and sure. like, you know, just like, yeah, like, I I'm just kind of part of this. I think, you know, it's something that was really memorable. Yeah, and, that's know, pretty I cool. That, you know, more recently, um, I actually have a book coming out at the end of February that looks at kind of you know, the business and some legal aspects of esports and professional gaming. So, you know, kind of getting that email from the publisher, like, hey, you know, here's a deal. We want to like, you know, make your book into like a book. <laughs> it was, you know, that was really exciting. Yeah. And then seeing like the cover when they send you that image, you're just like, 
wow, like it's real it's now. Cool. Yeah, that's you know, awesome. That's... So it's like, you know, I haven't really kind of gone public with it. I'm waiting for the Amazon pre-order, yeah. you know, link yeah, to be yeah. live. But, you know, I would say those are two things that really kind of st- stick out to me. Well, that's awesome. So final question. What's, what's the future? What's the plan? I mean, the future is bright. You know, I'm definitely very... Um, big on the mobile as well as the college esports side. I think, you know, that there's going to be, that's just like the area is going to keep growing mm-hmm. because that's like the sweet spot of the demographic of, you know, the 18 to 35 that, you know, esports encompasses and, you know, everyone has a mobile phone. Yeah. And, you know, I just think that there's just so many integrations that people haven't really focused on at all. And that, you know, you're talking about millions of people within this college ecosystem, you know, in the U.S., as well as across the country and, you know, across the continent, across the globe. So I really think that there's just like a huge upside there and hoping to be involved, whether it's, you know, in a teaching capacity or, you know, just trying to continue to advise different programs on how you approach this space and how you develop curriculum and what information might be useful to, you know, students and professionals that are, you know, trying to get into this stuff and then really just continuing to build, you know, what I'm doing with the law firm and, you know, on the talent development side, because I think that there's just a lot of unique talent. Most of them are really doing a lot of stuff on their own and all they really need is the right guidance and the right people in their corner to, you know, kind of help mold things, open up new doors and, you know, I'm hoping to be one of those people. Yeah, no, that's awesome, and I, I completely agree with you on the mobile side of esports. I think it's I think it's way overlooked in the U.S. It's not overseas because they're 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 on yeah. it, but here, it is way overlooked. We're focused on mostly PCs. For, I mean, for the big esports games, and I really, you know, League of Legends is releasing their version of League. Yeah, that, Wild Rift. Yeah, the indeed. other League is is uh, other similar League of Legends game I've got on my phone. I I I'm not really playing mobile. I'm I'm a PC guy, but man it's it's coming and even like with like among us being on the mobile device like it's i i see it i I think you're right on there i think it's 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 coming and i think i agree with you that everyone's got a phone not everyone is glued to it most of the time like not everyone's got a high mpc that can play league of legends at 120 frames per second i mean they just don't or overwatch or whatever it is but they can they've got the mobile phone that can play the game the wi-fi in most places yeah yeah no i i agree well, hey, it, you know what? It was this is a cool interview. Um, I learned a lot of really cool stuff. It's really interesting hearing about just the law side of things. It's something that I don't think a lot of esports people coming up into the industry are thinking about. I don't think they think about it until all of a sudden they got this big contract. But man, even just that gamer tag thing, I think is really important. And it's not a super expensive thing to get a trademark for a gamer tag. It could totally be worth it for some of my students that I'm even thinking of. Yeah, I mean, realistically, if you're going to be, you know, selling merch with your name on yeah. it or, you know, really trying to do appearances and really kind of, you know, work with brands and try to do, you know, develop, you know, officially licensed products, you know, yeah, you, need these, it. you need it because mm-hmm. it gives you this protectability and it without it, you're really kind of, you know, I guess, you know, the last lesson is you don't want to spend your time and money building a brand or a name that you can't really own and use. Yeah. You know, I think that's like the biggest thing and why, you know, proper protection and monitoring and, you know, doing searches to determine the availability of it is, Mm -hmm. you know, really essential because that's the worst thing is if you spend all this time, this money, you become huge and, 
you're about to, you know, sign a big deal. And then out of nowhere, you get one of these nice letters like, well, actually, we own the rights to the name and you have to cease and desist or, you know, you're going to be in a lot of trouble. And it just like really is a huge issue if you have to rebrand and change your name and, you know, all your social media is verified and everyone knows you as one thing. And it's, you know, could cost you millions of dollars depending on, you know, how it plays out. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, that's awesome. It's uh, I, I learned a lot. It was really cool. I, it was great. I had fun talking to you today. Well, yeah, you know, thanks for having me. And, you know, to the listeners out there, you know, check me out on Twitter, Justin J E S Q. My DMs are open, so feel free if you have any questions or any more information. I'm always, you know, down to impart wisdom whenever I can. Awesome. Thank you, Justin.